Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Friends, we are finishing up our series uh, in Traveling Lighter. We've talked about uh, letting go of negative thoughts, anxiety. Uh, If you missed uh, those, really go back, give them a listen. Today we're going to be talking about relationships. You know, if we think back to where everything was good, think about like the Garden of Eden, where God's put everything together. There's no problems. There's no sin. Uh, Adam and Eve representing, you know, original man and, and woman. Adam had this great spot laid out for him. It was perfect. And you know what was wrong with it? He was lonely. Even before there was any sin, any wrongness, he was still lonely. There is no good career, nice stuff, money, perfect health, uh, organic natural environment, uh, closeness with God even, that will make up for lack of good relationships. God looked at Adam and he said, it is not good for, for people to be by themselves. And that's not a statement about marriage or gender. He's just looking at what he made and he's like, mm, they don't run good by themselves. There's a relational battery to this thing I made. We all have a need for close, good relationships imprinted into us. That's pure and that's good. I think most of us feel some level of like social anxiety or like pressure. You know, relationships are never totally easy. I think many of us on some level feel like a new kid walking into school, going into that school cafeteria on the first day. Who are we going to sit with? Like, am I sitting with, like, I'm maybe okay by sitting by myself, but does that make me a loser? How many friends should I have? Maybe I'm fine as I am, but like I'm too busy for new relationships. I I would like new friendships, but I don't want to seem too needy. We've got a lot going on relationally. The time in my life when I was probably the most lonely was when I had just gotten married, ironically. We'd just gotten married and moved to um, Darien, Connecticut, so outside of New York City. We do all feel like the new kid in the cafeteria. Um, Moved to outside of New York City, and I was newly married. Very happy to be newly married, but I had no other friends. And I was supposed to be all relationally fulfilled and happy, but I was really lonely. I'd moved eight or nine hours away from where I'd been in Pittsburgh and Northeast Ohio for seven years. I felt the rub. I felt the, the need for more friends. They say that the number one predictor of overall health is our relationships. Uh, health and relationships is not always a one-to-one correlation, but relationships and happiness is pretty much always a one-to-one correlation. We need good friends. We are made for relationships with other people, but there's help for that. When we receive Jesus' love, his peace, his encouragement poured into us. It empowers us. The church community supports us. So let's pray, and then we're going to dig into our passage today. Jesus, I thank you that you love us. Love, love, love us this morning. That you do not treat us as followers or servants, 
but that you call us friends. That there is no part of our, our life, of our heart, that you are not interested in and concerned for. Jesus, you care about every aspect of our life and love us individually and as a community. Jesus, I just speak your blessing this morning into our hearts and our lives, especially in the areas of our relationships and our friendships. Jesus, would you give us soft hearts to you to work in our lives this morning? Would we open up our hearts to you, Jesus, where we have needs and loneliness, Jesus? Would we open that up to you as our Heavenly Father? Would we come before you and say, help Jesus? Would you speak truth and life into us through your word today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to be looking at the letter to Paul's letter to the church in Philippi this morning. Of Philippians chapter 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Does following Jesus make a difference? Any comfort in his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? The answer to these things is yes, 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 there is. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another, and working together in one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. How about if I did something really impressive, though? Well, just let other people find out and celebrate. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. He asks us to be humble. He doesn't ask us to be as humble as he was. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. So Paul starts out this passage, you know, talking about good unified relationships where our hearts are tender and compassionate and we just love each other well. Good relationships, unity, camaraderie doesn't just happen when we get together, when we get together as a diverse group of people. It doesn't just happen when you join the country club. It doesn't just happen when you join the church. It happens when God's love is poured out into our hearts, when our hearts settle in the peace and acceptance of Jesus. 
uh, his love and his comfort make up for some of the problems uh, and stress of the world. We are comforted. God's love has been poured out into our hearts so that the Spirit of God can connect us in unity and in fellowship. We first receive love and then we're able to love each other well. And for this to be a spiritual thing, we have to get that in order. We receive God's love, and then we are able to love others well. We have a full tank to run off of. You know, there may be self-driving cars. We are not asked to be self-powering people. We have a power source. And, you know, I know as we start uh, talking about relationships, that relationships can be tough. It can be a little awkward or uncomfortable, a little vulnerable, I just want to set the mood as we start. Is that okay? Can we set the tone, set the mood? You deserve love. And you are deeply, deeply loved. You deserve love, and you are deeply, deeply loved. To the max. We have no need to be vulnerable and insecure. God is very secure in how great he thinks you are. God is very confident in your calling and your worth and your belovedness. We have a strong place to work out of. And we receive that. Just take a minute right now. Jesus, we receive your love over all of us. In places of vulnerability or insecurity, Jesus, those low places, we let you fill up. Amen. So we're given some great advice in this passage here. Um, Don't be selfish. Give freely. You know, I feel better when I look at the world as a common cup half filled. Not my cup half full, but a common cup half full. There is plenty to go around. I will get, you know, some. I will get what I need. It is a common cup half full. Um, Don't try and impress people. I know that's like half of what we do on social media. We have got to work against this in some ways. Um, Take an interest in others. Be a good listener. Our natural inclination is try and act nice friendly neighbor, smiling student. This passage says, be humble and then you will act kind, generous, nice. Be humble. Take a step back. Think of others as better than yourself. Take an interest in them. But we do this all from a place, living out of a place with Jesus. Think this among you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let your bearing towards one another arise out of your life with Christ. God does not tell us to go out and just make better relationships. He tells us to live in Jesus and then live out of a place of confidence and peace with Jesus. First we receive, then we live it out. And this passage is specifically about relationships in the church. He's talking to people in the church in Philippi about like you and them and them and you having good relationships. But I want to talk really specifically this morning about two relationships, the relationship of friendship and of marriage. Because I think that friendship in our culture is kind of impoverished. And it's not just since COVID. 
Um, and that marriage is either a place of real thriving and, um, and strength if you happen to be married, or it's a place of, you know, some drain and strain. There's a lot of overlap between how spiritually we approach marriage and how spiritually we approach friendships. Um, just good relationships in general, but I want to talk specifically about those two relationships today. I think will be helpful for us. Um, friendship has historically been held in really high regard, guys. Friendship was valued and really meant something. Like to be a friend was a serious commitment. You did not have casual friends, so I mean that happened. To be a friend was almost like a covenant. Relationship. It was really valued. C.S. Lewis says that when we think in terms of human history, looking through the course of really thousands of years of Western civilization, other cultures and society, what is striking about our culture and our society is our surprising lack of friendship. What is unusual about us is how sparse and meager our friendships are. Jesus wants to be your best friend. He does not want to be your only friend. Jesus had close friends. He had his top three, Peter, James, and John. Um, those were his best friends. He also had his disciples. He spent lots of time with them. Um, they were a little different as his followers. Um, it's a little hard to be really buddy-buddy with the God of the universe. But Jesus was really, he enjoyed time with people. He was very social. He had friendships here on earth, and he wants the same for us. I do not think that we need friends who are our same age, gender, life stage, interests, hobbies, uh, socioeconomic status. People, you know, who are like us. I think we just need friends. We don't want to limit ourselves to good fit friends. We don't always get to choose our friends. I think that's okay. Friendship is good for us. Friendship produces good things in us. Friendship gives us, you know, energy, motivation, encouragement, perspective, hope, love, joy, enjoyment of life. Friendship produces good things in us. We want to value the relationships that we have and invest in them. So I think identifying who our, our friends are and not limiting ourselves to sames friends. One of the biggest things I've had to learn about friendships and relationships, um, because somehow I had this lingering impression like from high school that my friends would be my same age, my same grade. They do the sports with me like similar. It's a little weird if you have someone who's two years younger than you or something. And this lingering notion from high school that I needed friends who were like the same as me. But I've moved around a lot. Found myself in a new city at age 30, a new small town at age 35. And I realized that if I'm only friends with other female pastors, I will be very lonely. <laughs> we want to be friends with who God puts in our life who really encourages us and motivates us and speaks joy into our lives. That's who God has placed there for us. And then we want to invest in those relationships. You know, I'll talk to people and they'll kind of open up about being lonely, struggling with lack of friends. 
Like, so who have, who have you texted recently? Who have you just reached out to? Well, no one. Who have you, you know, asked, you know, invited over for dessert or asked out for a little cup of coffee in, in the last month? Well, you know, um, I think because we are in a society that doesn't really prioritize friendship in the same way. Um, we, we don't always invest or prioritize our friendships and put in effort. Honestly, guys, here's a true confession. I have kept lists of who my friends are. Here is a list of who my friends are. And then I've said, how can I do more for them? How can I invest in our, like, I just put some work and some effort into it. And actually, making that little list, I'll be honest with you, it was encouraging to me. I was like, look, I do have friends. Um, but we want to be intentional and put effort into our friendships. Um, if you think of four of your friends, just list off four people in your life. Someone from church, hopefully. College, co-workers, neighbors. Just list off four people. Pick one. What's one thing you can do to... Just reach out to invest in them. A card, a text, sharing a funny meme, meeting up for a piece of pizza, seeing the game together. Investing in our relationships is just super important. Many friendships are kind of impoverished, and we want to value friendship, and out of a place of confidence in Jesus' friendship, just build in slowly. Deposit into that friendship account. Not, not picky uh, about uh, our friends. Just giving love and giving friendship where we have it. Now, if you are married, that is another source of friendship and relationships. Um, the Bible says, love your spouse so that nothing hinders your prayers. I read that verse and I'm like, yikes, this is serious. God says, like, love your spouse before you ask me for all, all of the, these things. It's for real. Let's talk quickly about what marriage is. If you want to um, actually go to the next slide. Um, I think it's really important to be clear on what Jesus-centered, what bi biblical marriage is. Because we've got models of marriage from the 1950s. 1850s, back past then, uh, that are very different. We've done a total pendulum swing from now what we have as modern marriage. Obviously, marriage has changed a lot over the last couple hundred years. Um, traditional marriage, you are very committed to the institution of marriage, which has some positives to it, uh, stability, uh, real positives to it. Modern marriage is more like, well, this is good for me now. This is helpful to me now. If that changes later and marriage is not helpful to me, you know, it's a contract that can be entered or exited. Um, Jesus-centered marriage is not about you or me. It's about a covenant relationship of love that makes an us out of you and me. Uh, next one, um, traditional marriage is dependent. Specifically, the woman usually upon the man, but the man also needs offspring. Um, they're just dependencies. Uh, the woman especially could not just leave. That would be a big problem. Modern marriage, independent. 
I have my own resources. I have my own, you know, we're, we're t- teaming up together as it helps us right now. Jesus-centered marriage is interdependent. We both need each other. We both rely on each other. We are interdependent in a biblical model of marriage. And then the last way that I think we can define um, biblical marriage is that instead of the traditional model, which was typically the guy was in in charge, that there's a prescribed authority within marriage, or modern marriage where we're both kind of in charge and then we somehow compromise, it's mutually empowering. We both submit to each other's authority and preferences, and we're really in it together, melded and merged uh, together into not you versus me, but into an us. Marriage is two flawed people coming together. Flawed, there's no way around it, to build like this little fort, this little place of stability and encouragement and love and support. Marriage is not about finding someone who will accept you exactly as you are, add to your bank account, promote your social status, fulfill your sexual and emotional needs. If that was the case, you should marry uh, uh, a doctor with you know, a hobby of gourmet cooking and a background in bodybuilding. If that happens for you, congratulations. Joni Mitchell, I'm not a huge fan of her music, but I'm a huge fan of what she says um, about relationships. She says, if you want endless repetition, see a lot of different people. If you want infinite variety, stay with one. What happens when you date is that you run all your best moves, you tell all your best stories, you wear your best dress, and in a way that routine is a method for falling in love with yourself over and over again. You can't do that with a long-term mate because he knows all the old material. With a long relationship, things die and are then rekindled, and that shared process of rebirth deepens the love. I know someone who says, I've been married to one person for seven different marriages. Go in and out of different seasons, one person, seven different marriages. It's hard work. A lot of people run at the first sign of trouble. I remember being uh, nervous going on our honeymoon because I thought five whole days with Stephen, he is going to get bored of me by the end. It wasn't anything about him. I was just like, I don't have any work to do. We have no other people. I am going to run out of new material here. Thankfully, our marriage is not based on me being charming and interesting, at least all the time. Uh, So we made it through. Uh, The Gottman Institute does a lot of great, uh, really research, uh, data research on marriage. And they say that 70% of, um, or that successful marriages have 70% of problems that are ongoing and continuing. So it's a good marriage, but 70% of your issues will just continue. This is just my personality, and I just don't load the dishwasher, right? No matter what, it's going to continue for the next couple of decades. Um... 70% of issues in unsuccessful marriages are also continuing perpetual. So, like, what's what's the story here? Like, don't get married. There's no hope. Um, The story is 
that every relationship has issues and they don't get resolved. A good marriage is about love and communication, not about solving all your problems. Marriage is about loving each other and accepting each other deeply, not about congruency. Uh, People say you always marry the wrong person. Have you ever heard that phrase? You always marry the wrong person? Uh Uh-uh, not me. I'm like, I married the right person. We are a perfect fit. We have such a good marriage. And you know, I remember uh, uh, that we had a good run. We had a good run. Uh, It lasted for about three or four years. My delusions, not the marriage. Uh, The marriage has lasted much longer than my delusions. Um, But I remember, I remember when I was like, you know, he's just not going to change. I'm going to have to put up with this. And uh, truly, guys, I was angry. I was salty. I was grumpy and moody and very disappointed. I, I, I thought, I just, I thought I was the 1%. If you're here with your spouse, turn to your spouse and say, I married the right person. Because you did. We married the wrong person, and they're the right person. Because marriage is a love covenant that creates an us out of a you versus me. The gospel tells us that in and of ourselves, we are more sinned and flawed than we like to admit But in Jesus Christ, we are more deeply loved than we can ever imagine. And good relationships, friendships, or marriage, are a reflection of that. I am a worse wife than I thought I would be. Quite honestly, I pictured myself as always easy going, uh, always having a good meal cooked, looking amazing at all times of the day and night. Um, You know, really, I would never be in a manipulative, like I'm not my mother, like I will just be a great wife that Stephen has hit the jackpot with. And I discovered that I have some sides of me that are not so pretty. But I love Stephen really a, a ton, and uh, we have a great marriage. But I'm more loved by Stephen. Through it all, in and out, on a nice day off, there's no one else I'd rather spend the day with. When I have a problem, there's no one else I'd turn to. I'm better loved than I ever really hoped for. And I'm a worse wife than I really anticipated. <laughs> Real talk here, guys, real talk. All right, let's turn back to our passage. It says, Have the same attitude as was in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but who emptied himself. What we're talking about as uh, we've gone from talking about relationships Uh, turning to talk about having the same attitude, the same mind as was in Christ Jesus. What we're talking about here is letting go. It is 
emptying ourselves, kind of dying to ourselves, letting go of some of our preferences, our background, our our personalities. We still have our personalities. We still have our background, and that's enriching to us. We just don't cling to it. It's not concrete in in our uh, relationships that weighs us down. We're talking about letting go, releasing. God's job is to transform us. God's job is to apply grace and forgiveness to us, to pour out real love uh, into our hearts. Our job is to die to self, to let go of our will, let go of our control. God does the real work. Our work is to let him. The spiritual life is what God does. We're the recipients. God is the active agent. We are the cooperative subjects. Letting go, letting go is the easiest thing you can do. It takes no muscle. It takes no skill. It can be done in an instant. It's totally easy. You just let go. It is also the hardest thing that you can ever do to relinquish control, to surrender to someone else is very counterintuitive. And we should only surrender to the God of the universe who made us, who knows us, who understands us, who has walked in our shoes on the earth, who has bled and died and risen again for us. It's the easiest thing and also like the hardest thing. But this is where we can do the quantum leap from obedience into surrender. This is where we can go from saying, "Mm, what's right, what's wrong? Okay, I'll obey, and that's good. And we will always have to do that. Mm, What am I going to do next? Okay, I'm going to obey. To just surrendering to God. When I'm in control of my life, of my Christian life, I choose to obey as I should. When God is in control of my life, I am surrendered and he guides me. It's a blank check versus uh, allocating careful payments to God type uh, of thing. One is good. The other is freeing and joyful. And I think this is the sweet spot where we can kind of float instead of swimming hard. Um, I think of one couple I know who, they had a really tough marriage. Um, it's like, I, I know them very well. Um, they're like, how about you guys do marriage counseling? No. Every marriage counselor just tell us to get a divorce. No. Okay, fine. Um, and, um, and they're in a much, much, they're in a, actually a really great marriage right now. How? I want to say I have no idea because they did not do any of the things that they should have done. But actually, I do kind of have an idea how. I think that they just died to self and released and let go. They let go of their need for being right and and admired, of, of getting their way, of being in control, of fixing the other person. I think they just accepted the other person and let go. I think that's all all that all that happened. Truly letting go of control is the most beautiful and freeing thing that we can do. And it's what Jesus did. 
Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God has elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a downward trajectory. We go from human to slave to death on the cross. In polite Roman society, you did not say the word C-R-O-S-S. It was really nasty and inappropriate. Cross. And from that like depraved place, Jesus is, is elevated from his, out of his place of humility and, and sacrifice. We go up. Jesus is now exalted. He is at the highest place of honor. Even his name has a high place of honor. As humans, friends, um, if you look at the first humans, Adam and Eve, they were created in the image of God. And they said, what? We have a chance for advancement? This fruit could take me up a level? Yes, please. And because they grabbed, they were, you know, dispelled from the Garden of Eden. Jesus was God himself. But he emptied himself. He humbled himself. And now he is exalted to the highest place of honor. He is a God worth following. He is a God worth surrendering to. He is a God that we can trust to release, to relax into. He's a God that we can let go to, and he's got us every step of the way. Friends, surrendering to God is worth it. And when we do it, when we really let go, God will make our relationships better. First and foremost, his relationship with us and then our relationship with other people. Mm-hmm.